You're listening to the VJ Books Podcast, produced by vjbooks.com, the premier seller of signed books. In every episode, we chat with an author, discuss an upcoming book, or give you tips on how to start your book collection. Make sure to follow this podcast on your platform of choice to get the latest updates, and subscribe to us on anchor.fm for ad-free episodes. For just a dollar a month, you can get exclusive ad-free episodes, plus a monthly discount code usable on anything in our store. Enjoy the episode. Welcome to the VJ Books Podcast. Brad Thor is not only our guest today, but the VJ Books feature author for July. We're here to celebrate his lengthy and wonderful career and the publication of his latest book, Rising Tiger, which is out this month. We should start by saying he is both critically acclaimed and a number one New York Times bestselling author with a long string of books, which have been translated into multiple languages. He's a cum laude graduate of the University of Southern California, where he studied creative writing, film, and television production. Prior to bursting on the scene in 2002 with his first novel, Lions of Lucerne, he was the award-winning creator, writer, producer, host, and probably key grip as well of the uh, critically acclaimed <laughs> national public television series, Traveling Light. When he writes his novels, he knows whereof he speaks. In 2008, Brad shouted a black ops team in Afghanistan to research his thriller, The Apostle. His expertise is such that he has served as a member of the Department of Homeland Security's Analytic Red Cell Unit, and he's appeared on ABC, CBS, NBC, and all the rest of them uh, to discuss terrorism, as well as how closely his novels of international intrigue parallel the very real threats facing the world today. And we're very pleased to welcome Brad Thor. Oh, what a nice introduction. Thank you. I'm pleased to be with my VJ family. We've been together for years. Yeah, yeah. And, and they're wonderful people to work with. Were, oh, were you yeah. always going to be a writer? Uh, yeah. I, you know what? It's funny. I wanted to do it ever since I was a little boy. And uh, I started a novel after college, a thriller, and I got a couple chapters into it. And I was living overseas. And I sent my laptop back home. I was afraid of failure. I didn't want the embarrassment. My mind said, what happens if you don't write a good book? You don't find a publisher. And I think we all have that voice in the back of our heads that um, kind of talks us out of what we should be doing. I really believe that what you're most afraid of in life is that uh, which you're most destined to do. And uh, on my honeymoon, my wife asked me, what would you regret on your deathbed never having done? And I said, writing a book and getting it published. And she said, great. When we get home, you're going to start spending two hours a day, protected time, no phone, no uh, internet, no email, and start making that uh, dream come true. And I did. And that was the lines of Lucerne. We probably should send a bunch of flowers to her right now because mm. of the, <laughs> the great, not a bad idea. I, I have to ask you, since I mentioned that the, the black ops mission you went on in Afghanistan, can you, is there anything you can legitimately tell us about that? Yeah, I mean, I can tell a little bit. Um, the uh, guys on this team were fans of mine, and they invited me to come over with them. And they said, how would you like to see what Harvath does, your protagonist, particularly on uh, developing uh, intelligence networks? And so I said, yeah, I would love to. And it was funny because they rented me a room for two weeks in Kabul. They wanted to see if I was going to chicken out. And if I did, they were going to park me at this hotel in Kabul uh, for two weeks until one of them could kind of come back from what he had to do uh, inside Afghanistan and then uh, would kind of see me out of the country. But I didn't chicken out and I got to, got to do some neat things with them. And the best fried chicken I've ever had was in Jalalabad. So <laughs> go figure. Amazing. 
That's amazing. Go figure. Yeah, it was a fun See, this time. Is, yeah. Um, you know, your fans of obviously Brace Scott and the Carlton group to the point where, if I got this correctly, Rising Tiger is book 21 in the series. Mm-hmm. Is that correct? Wow. Yeah, and I, I tell people that the books are like the James Bond movies. You don't need to have ever seen a James Bond movie to go catch the latest one in the theaters. And it's the same thing with my books. If you haven't read a Brad Thor book before, you can absolutely start with Rising Tiger. Even though it's the same protagonist, the books are meant to stand alone. And that was a piece of advice that my editor gave me early on. She said, you don't want a new reader to walk into, let's say, VJ Books and uh, be looking for the very first book. And it isn't there. And so they go and buy someone else's book because uh, your first book isn't there. So that's always been the way that I've written them so that no matter which book you come across in the wild, you can pick it up and, and have a, a, a great read. Okay. I, I got intrigued by, by Scott's name. And Arvind is a surprising origin. It's an ethnic name for a croat, in particular, a Croatian refugee from the Ottoman Empire. So I'm interested, was that a conscious question? You just like the name. So the name, actually, we have a friend who's named Harvath, uh, ah. who was very engaged in the war on terror, uh, even even before we were calling it the war on terror, pre-9-11. So Harvath, so the last name Harvath comes from a friend of ours, excuse me, and then Scott with one T, that is how my mom named my brother, because she didn't oh. like the idea of S-C-O-T-T-T-H-O-R. She thought it was too many T's. <laughs> so I gave my protagonist uh, Scott with one T, but readers, Roger, started asking me, why does he only have one T? And so I finally had to give him the middle name Thomas. And I said, his mother didn't like the idea of S-C-O-T-T-T-H-O-M-A-S. So that's how Scott has got only one T. That's great. That's, that's a great story. I'm glad to have that. Now, I don't want to inadvertently give out any spoilers, so it might be best if you give the listeners the 30,000-foot view of Rising Tiger. Okay. Uh, Pardon me. I I tell people that what I do is faction, where you don't know where the facts end and the fiction begins. And I I like to give people a great white-knuckle thrill ride, but I like to set the story against a real piece of geopolitics. And two years ago, high in the Himalayas, uh, two years ago this summer, uh, Chinese troops snuck across the border with India. And there is a longstanding agreement actually since 1996 that no firearms are allowed to be used in this region that's called the line of actual control, the border region. And uh, the Chinese crept across with homemade weapons. So they had iron rods studded with spikes, baseball bats, wrapped with barbed wire, and they attacked Indian troops uh, in in this region. And it was a bloody six-hour, Middle Ages-style, hand-to-hand melee. And I found the story fascinating. And the more I looked into it, particularly because a lot of things made themselves very apparent during quarantine, during the COVID lockdowns and stuff, particularly how dependent we were on China for so many different things. And the United States is the world's oldest democracy, but India is the world's largest. And India is a natural ally for the United States. And so the more I looked at this, the more I said, you know, it would be fascinating to uh, to create an Asian version of NATO with India at its hub. And I said, oh, my gosh, if you did that, the Chinese would go crazy. They wouldn't want that, similar to how Putin doesn't want anybody else added to NATO because he feels it's encroaching on him and Russia. And so anyway, I went 
to great lengths to do all this research. And I said, okay, this will make a really cool backdrop for a spy novel. Uh, India is going to get uh, secretly brought into this organization. The Chinese find out about it and they're doing all they can to stop it. So that's the background, uh, the, the facts in the faction, if you will, for Rising Tiger. And that's that uh, attack is what you open the book with. That's not a giveaway because that's that's the very right. first of it. And that sucks the reader right in right now. What the heck is going on? So I love people to start right at the action in the middle and then, then back out and give you the background of it. Right. Um, right. And without giving any, I will say there's some major surprises in this one and some very good page turning sequences. And one of the big attractions of your work is readers like inside details. And you're very good about that. Um, I was surprised to learn that the fishing is really good in Tajikistan, for instance. Isn't that fascinating? It is <laughs> Tajikistan is like Minnesota, except instead of the land of a thousand lakes, it's like the land of a hundred thousand lakes. There, the amount of rivers, streams, and lakes that are fishable in Tajikistan is amazing, and they're actually trying to build that out as their big tourism push: come and fish in T Tajikistan. So I love putting those pearls, Roger, into the novel. So I'm glad you noticed that. Thank you. That one was one of my favorite. And then I love the inside explanations like how an RPG works. I had no idea that you have to back off away because it takes so many, I think it's five meters before it's armed and then longer before the fins pop out and give you stability and direction. Yep. Is it is that something you have checked out personally? Have you fired one? It yeah, uh, no, I have not fired one. Uh, so all of the firearms, unless they've been bolted to an airframe, I've fired. So the <laughs> firearms, yes, the explosives, not so much. And it's interesting because uh, we've lucked out, in, in particular, uh, we as the United States and some of our service members have lucked out in that the bad guys that tried to fire an RPG at them did not have enough standoff. So there wasn't enough time for it to arm and things like that. There's plenty of situations where the RPGs have had enough distance to, to, to be armed and that kind of a thing. But that to me was just fascinating. And the, the more I looked into that, the more I said, you know what, this would be kind of neat to put this in because I don't think people understand that there's steps that have to be considered when you fire that. It's not just kind of a fire and forget sort of a thing. There's actually a, a process you have to be cognizant of. Yep, yeah, and uh, gosh, I'm just gonna bounce all over the place because there's so much That's going good. on. This is this is what I call dense, but in the very best possible sense, it is very rich with stuff going on. You've got multiple themes running through here as well. Now, as an old DJ, I will have to say I went through and logged all of the music that you, went, oh, including good. including the the running battle between is this funk or is this R and B between Scott and his his compatriot that he discovers over there, which sounds like a really interesting character as well. And I hope we're going to hear more of him. VJ, um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. VJ, which coincidentally, I had to bring that up as we're doing for VJ books. Uh, I don't know if that was, <laughs> was subconscious on your part or. <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah. Well, what's interesting also, so not only did you, you do funk, I mean, you're, you're doing LaGrange by ZZ Top. He shook me on like long ACDC schools out by Alice Cooper and something totally different like American Pie by Don McLean mm -hmm. and the average white band Sly in the Fat. But you also mentioned uh, arias from Carmen and Il Travatore. So uh, mm -hmm. musically, where do you go for fun? You know what? I'm all over the place. I have a very broad palette when it comes to music. So it was fun to have the troll listening to opera and then Harvath to have this back and forth with VJ. And for those people who haven't uh, read the book yet, uh, 
many of our embassies have a retired local cop there in a position that's called a uh, foreign service national slash investigator. And the idea is if an American citizen gets in trouble with the police or somebody at the embassy needs the help of the local police, you've got a retired guy who can navigate the, the network of law enforcement in that country. And I wanted to create, Roger, a character similar to Sean Connery in The Untouchables, but with an even greater sense of humor. So an old street cop that's really savvy and uh, with VJ, I wanted him to have been retired for a little bit behind a desk and itching to get back on the street and use some of his old kind of a, put his instincts back to work. This is a guy that's not afraid to break a couple of eggs to make an omelet. And uh, it's wonderful that you bring him up because I've had so many early readers comment on how much they liked BJ and that character, particularly because I haven't written about India before. This was the first time I've set a novel there. And there's so much in the real world, there's so much incredible intrigue and beauty and espionage that's happening in India. Uh, but I needed a character to serve as Scott Harvath's guide, somebody that can help him navigate India, explain why certain things exist. This is happening during the big week-long festival of uh, Diwali. So it's, uh, yeah, so it was, it was a lot of fun to do that. But to have Harvath and Vijay go back and forth uh, about is this song a funk song or is it an R&B song? Is this band a funk band or an R&B band? It was just kind of fun because I, I like R&B, I like funk. And so to put the music in there along with some classic rock stuff, uh, I, the readers really like that. And I even did a playlist that I put at my website uh, so that if you want to see the whole list of songs, you can go to bradthor.com and there's a playlist for Rising Tiger there. I I will definitely be doing that. I want to see just how good you are. I mean, you you delved into some maybe not the the biggest name so you obviously an aficionado i mean there was a barcaser in there and uh mm -hmm. white band etc so it's yep. wonderful stuff but that's not your only expertise of fun in there you are very good about drink in this as well mm -hmm. um, you uh you mentioned i mean you plug pappy van winkle which is what three grand a bottle uh -huh. Look at, there it is, right at the edge of my bar that you can see as we're doing this. That's Pappy right there. That's another, that's a whiskey called Writer's Tears. This is Woodford Reserve in the decanter. This one's tequila in that decanter. So yeah, I like my bourbon a lot. And it's funny because Preston Van Winkle of the, the Van Winkle family who runs the distillery now uh, is a fan of the books. He, he likes reading Scott Harvath thrillers. And I did not know that. I had put Pappy in there. I put Pappy in a couple of books and uh, Preston reached out to me to say, hey, Brad, I'm a big fan and thank you for putting uh, for putting Pappy in the books. And Pappy is really expensive. It's super expensive. It's outside pretty much of Scott Harvath's uh, price range as a government employee. And as I was talking to Preston once, he said, you know, there's only one thing I would ask you. And I said, what? He goes, in one of the books, could maybe the good guys drink my bourbon? You know, instead of the bad guys, it's always the rich villains that are drinking the pappy. And so uh, I asked a buddy of mine who does stuff similar to Harvath, I said, would you ever be able to swing a bottle of Pappy Van Winkle that you could enjoy with your team to celebrate a successful uh, mission? And he said, oh, yeah. He said, you know, we've got certain things we take into, into the countries we go to where we need to bribe, you know, whether it's border guards or whatever. And he said, we've got a team fund. And he said, you could probably siphon off enough off the team fund to get yourself a good bottle of bourbon. And so that's what I did in the beginning. Harvath, we open up with Harvath in the middle of an assignment. And when he wraps the assignment, he and the team get to crack open a bottle of bourbon. So that was my that was my way of uh, of remedying that problem uh, that Preston, it's not a problem, but Preston Van Winkle said, you know, 
I'd love to see the good guys drinking it. So that I did that for Preston. Right, good, good for him, and, and keep up the yeah. excellent work there. You also, mm-hmm. as long as I mentioned, you also uh, mentioned several brands of beer, and give the definition of IPA, which is always oh yeah, always welcome. Yeah, isn't that and, fascinating? I know so many IPA drinkers that had no idea what the history of India Pale Ale was and that the British actually formulated that so it would travel better from uh, from Great Britain to India. So I, I had to put that in there. That was too cool of a tidbit. As, as a beer aficionado, I'm appreciative of that. I will mention uh, one more too, the, the Louis Thirteenth Black Pearl Cognac. Yes. Uh, went, it's only 775 bottles made of Baccarat Crystal ever released worldwide. I don't know where you find this stuff, but this is pretty fascinating. <laughs> I've got I've got a wish list for when I hit the lottery, Roger. I got a lot <laughs> of stuff I'm going to stock my bar with. But um, I, I thought that one was really a cool. I was looking for something unique that the troll, uh, because he's such a gourmand, I wanted him to have some cool stuff in his bar. Uh, it's the first time I've put him in a new house. He's he's setting up a, a home. Uh, he's going to be a father. Uh, in uh, by the end of this book, and so I wanted to put put something cool in his bar, and so I, I looked far and wide, and then came up with that black pearl, that Louis Trez uh, cognac, pretty cool. It it is indeed, and there are um, well, there's, there's one that I have to ask you about because uh, you know the faction here. It's uh, you read a line about the U.S. Defense Department study that projects Afghanistan is sitting on deposits of various minerals, including copper, rare earths, and lithium, valued over a trillion dollars. Is that real? Yeah, so that is actually real, uh, and it blew my mind that while we were providing uh, so much military and financial assistance to Afghanistan, that the Chinese actually got the mining contract. Uh, but they've been very, uh, they've been stymied, let's say, because of the uh, the area where the mine is outside of Kabul. It, it has not been, uh, there's not been enough st- local stability for them to risk uh, employees working there and stuff like that. So it's been very difficult for them to extract uh, those rare earths out of there. But China has been very, very aggressive in trying to corner that market globally. And it is a national security issue for the United States, the ability to make uh, semiconductors and things like that. So just kind of a fascinating little detail that I wanted to throw in there to, to point to you know, some things that I, I don't think people think rare earth minerals when they think of Afghanistan and that there's such a huge deposit of, uh, of minerals there. And many of them are absolutely essential for high-end electronics. So yep. you know, your computer runs on some very interesting stuff. Um, Missiles and oh. jet fighters. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we need yeah. that stuff. Yeah. Um, and I understand North Korea has a bunch of that as well, but uh, I don't know what the situation is on that. Um, uh, you know, one of the joys is learning stuff from your books. And you uh, shared some language. I now know the uh, Hindi word for a corrupt, incompetent cop, a white person, an ant, and a <laughs> lunatic. You know the one I didn't put in there that is the is the first Hindi word I ever learned was khaki. Khaki is the Hindi word for dust, and that's where the word khaki comes from. And I that was the one that like I finished the book and it was put to bed and went to the printers. And I thought, oh, you know, I take it for granted that people know that word. But uh, when I brought it up with friends of mine, they had no idea that khaki was the Hindi word for dust. So news news to me, and I appreciate yeah. that. Also, um, I, I learned the term battle rattle. Uh, which I've mm-hmm. never seen before. And that's what piece of technical gear 
back, bumping up against another tactical gear, I should have said, yeah. Yeah, Kydex, a lot of the plastics and things like that can make a lot of noise. Uh, and it's, it's interesting because I've got a, a friend of mine who is a bladesmith. He's a, he designs very high-end knives, and he's, a, uh, he's one of a handful of instructors worldwide that teach a very unique samurai uh, martial arts form that is taught with the sword, but all of the movements are the same open-handed. So if you have the sword, you could use the sword. If you don't have your sword with you, you do everything the same, just with nothing in your hands. And he designs knives for Delta Force, for the SEALs. And we talked about Battle Rattle because he did a beautiful knife and I got one of them. Uh, and the sheath was leather. And then on the inside of the sheath was almost like a felt, a very interesting material, Roger, so that when you drew it, if you had to kill somebody up close, like a sentry or something like that, when you draw the knife out, there was no noise at all. So stealth, battle rattles stealth knives. Yeah. That's that's, a, that's it. Kind of neat okay. stuff. Yeah. I also learned uh, that I'm not sure whether this come from for the trunk called the dicky. That's that's a, a mm -hmm. new one for me too. Is that a an Indian? It is a term that uh, that is in. English, the way it is spoken in India, it, it is a term that goes back to, uh, boy, probably the 1930s. And Dickey was their equivalent. Uh, so it is a trunk, but it's it, it came about kind of the same time that our uh, rumble seat came about ah, when okay. there was that back seat in the trunk. Uh, so I forget the whole story behind Dickey, but yeah, that is there. That's that's kind of a colloquialism uh, there in India. And I thought, oh, that's that, just to have him you know, say, no, you get to ride in the dicky instead of you get to ride in the trunk was kind of fun to have DJ yeah. say that to their bad guy. I, I like that a, a great deal. Now, it's always a mistake to assume that the viewpoints of a character are those of the author, but there's one one section I want to quote, and I suspect this is, this is you behind the mask. Uh, it said he hated the internet. He hated the political media complex even more. A bunch of loudmouth jackasses in the left and right, getting rich by fomenting strife, et cetera, et cetera. I have to believe that's you behind that. It is a, it is a hundred percent me. When I get asked what I think uh, our biggest national security weaknesses, I say it's the internet. Uh, too many people get their information from the internet, particularly Facebook pages. And if you are a member of a Facebook page and that's where you go for your information, you are in a bubble. You're with other people who think like you. You feel very secure there because nobody challenges your view of the world. And that's one of the first places that foreign intelligence services looking to foment strife go to to turn Americans against each other. So whether it's the North Koreans, the Chinese, the Russians, they love Facebook pages and Americans who get their news from those pages. Uh, so long before COVID, the Russians ran uh, an operation in Washington state where they did a bunch of disinformation about vaccines for children. So whether it's MMR, measles, mumps, and rubella, that kind of stuff. And uh, it actually had an impact in this particular county in Washington state where the vaccination rates went down because parents were terrified about getting their kids vaccinated because of this Russian propaganda they had picked up on social media. So I'm not a fan of social media, and I'm also not a fan of kind of the political entertainment complex because they, they are driven by clicks and eyeballs and they get people angry.
That's how they get people to come back to their websites, their TV shows. And I will go to my grave, Roger, saying there is so much more that unites us as Americans than divides us. And I don't want it to take another 9-11 to bring us together again. So uh, I'm in the thriller business. I want to entertain people. I'm not in the statement business. But India is going through a lot of very similar things that we're experiencing here. Tribalization, uh, the whole, if you're wearing that jersey, you're my enemy. If you're wearing my jersey, you're automatically on my team. And so it was interesting to play some of the Indian politics in this thriller because it's so similar to what we've got going. In fact, you and I, uh, to to circle back and to bring the social media uh, element in, we talked about that invasion by China in the Himalayas at the beginning of of this uh, interview. And as one of the uh, uh, kind of repercussions, one of the reprisals from New Delhi was they threw out all the Chinese apps from the Indian app store. And uh, by 2026, there are going to be a billion smartphone users in India. And India said to the Chinese, you are stealing our citizens' personal data. You're stealing their biometric data. And uh, now you've crept across the border and killed a bunch of our soldiers. And this is one of the one of the prices you're going to pay. And it was a huge blow to the Indian tech sector, sorry, the Chinese tech sector by having all their apps uh, thrown out of India. So it, it is they say. My kids don't have TikTok, and there's a reason. It's a Chinese app, and I I just don't trust the Communist Party of China, and uh, I don't want my kids to have it. So anyway, there's a lot of the stuff that you'll see in Rising Tiger uh, that uh, I hope will make people go, "Huh, that's interesting." Wait a second, we're we have the same issue here. You know, I wonder. You know, I wonder. It's just kind of a different way to look at uh, things that are threats to democracy. So that's what I'm hoping people will do is to see some of the ways that India uh, is is weak, or some of the areas where India could improve with their democracy, and it'll make people think, "Wow, yeah, maybe we need to take a closer look at apps from China and things like that." So, yeah, absolutely. One of the again, I'm bouncing around, but uh, one of the things I like was this nice little bit where it says. Well, Harvath took an alias he liked to base on the names of someone from the OSS. And mm-hmm. those of us who read lots of these are fans of the old Wild Bill Donovan's OSS and yeah. the heady days of World War II. So thanks for the flashback to that. It's it's fun because the OSS, for, for those who are listening who aren't familiar with the Office of Strategic uh, uh, Services. Gosh, services, correct. Thank you. I'm drawing a blank. First cup of coffee. I should have I should have knocked it all the way back before we started recording this morning. Um, so Bill Donovan, as I say in the book, and every time I need a quote from Donovan, I go to the same one, which is he told his people, if you fall, fall forward in service of the mission. And so as Harvath is working for a private intelligence agency that is helping to lighten the load at the CIA, that is that is their mantra as well. Uh, his private intel group is based on the OSS, a, a, a very lean, aggressive, fall forward in service of the mission kind of organization that's helping uh, the, the United States to get some of its most serious work done because of uh, all of the bureaucracy and stuff at the, at the CIA. So yeah, I love the OSS and it's fun to give Harvath his uh, aliases based on famous guys uh, that have been through that organization. Okay, we're getting close to the end here. I have to ask what you see as the future for you and uh, Scott. Ah, well, Rising Tiger is book uh, is the first book in a brand new four book contract with Simon and Schuster. So I know we've got at least three more uh, Scott Harvath novels coming. Uh, it, a lot of people ask me about this, and 
I've got friends, Roger, that are still out there in their 40s who are kicking indoors and uh, putting hoods over bad guys or shooting them in the head if that's what's necessary. And uh, they are very, very committed to what they do, and they can't ever imagine stopping. Uh, there are some people who just get addicted to that lifestyle, and uh, the joke is the worst thing you can be is a former action guy. Nobody wants to uh, come off the sidelines and either be a broad I – look at – I compared Scott to Tom Brady in the book uh, because you, you, Tom Brady's going to decide when he's ready to come off the field. Nobody's going to be able to push him into retirement as we've seen recently. He's in retirement. He's out of retirement, kind of the way Michael Jordan – uh, went to baseball and stuff like that. So Harvath is highly competitive. He's highly skilled. Uh, there is a certain risk by putting him in the field all the time because of his uh, his wisdom and his experience. I mean, in a perfect world, uh, perfect version of Harvath's world, he would be developing the next generation of talent. But Harvath has a an issue. He has a problem almost, which is he doesn't think anybody can do this work as well as he does. So there's a little bit of his ego that will never let him slow down, uh, never let him come out of the field. And it costs him. Uh, he's he's Happiness has been sporadic for him. Uh, because I like to explore, I, I say all the time, there is no American dream without those willing to protect it. And those willing to protect it, what does their American dream look like if they're constantly being sent to dangerous spots around the world? So that's that's part of what I get to explore through through Harvath, constantly being called on by his country to solve different problems. Well, we hope that you keep calling on him and he keeps calling on you for a long time to come. <laughs> if you liked what you heard today, by all means, contact uh, VJ Books and get a signed autographed copy first edition from this handsome gentleman here. Uh, Brad Thor has been our guest. Uh, the, the latest book is Rising Tiger. Thank you so much for your time today. Oh, it's been my pleasure. And just thank you for the years of bringing readers, not just my books, but so many different signed books and the happiness that you helped spread that way. Uh, when people ask me for signed books, we've got a special VJ Books thing at bradford.com. And I mean, back to the beginning when you guys were sending me tins of cookies uh, with, uh, with the books to sign. I mean, you've always been a class act at VJ Books, fabulous customer service, and just you've been wonderful partners in the book business for, gosh, I think 20 years with me now. So I just thank everybody there, Roger, for, for that support over these two decades. Thank you.